Chapter Five of the Story of Wool by Sarah Ware Bassett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Thornton has a reprimand. Donald had now been long enough at the ranch so that he had discovered a number of ways in which he could be of use. Most of his efforts, to be sure, were confined to aiding Sandy, but as Sandy had almost more work than he could do, he greatly appreciated the boy's help. Donald carried meal to the feeding troughs, fed the dogs, ran errands, and carried messages from one pasture to another. He was not a little proud when one day Sandy bestowed on him the title of first assistant. To think of being the assistant of Sandy McCulloch. Donald's heart bounded. Of course he got tired. The days were long, and the work was real. It was, however, good wholesome work in the open air, work that made his muscles ache at first and then grow steadily stronger. One evening, after he had put in an unusually active day and was sitting in the lamplight with his father, Sandy came to the door of the room and asked, "'Might I come in and speak to you and Donald, Mr. Clark?' Mr. Clark laid down his book. He always enjoyed a talk with Sandy. "'Certainly,' he answered. "'Come up by the fire, Sandy. "'The chilly evenings still hang on, don't they?' "'They do so. "'I'm thinking, Mr. Clark, "'that now Thornton is back again "'it is time I started for the range. "'Some of the herders have already gone, as you know. "'The rest will be off tomorrow.' I ought to be getting underway soon if I want to land my flock in high, cool pasturage before the heat comes. Very true, Sandy. I have kept you behind because your aid in starting off the wagons and the other herders was invaluable. But as you say, there is no need to detain you longer. How soon could you get away? I could start tomorrow if I had my permit. How is that? As you remember, sir, we must have permits to graze on the range. You have paid enough money to the government to realize that. Yes, indeed, and I never grudge the money, either. What are permits, Sandy? put in Donald eagerly. Well, laddie, long ago people who raised horses and sheep wandered over all the mountainsides with their herds and fed them wherever grass was plenty. It was free land. Anybody could graze there. It was a fine thing for a man with thousands of sheep not to have to pay a cent for their food, wasn't it? Of course. You would have thought there would have been enough for everybody to feed their stock peaceably, wouldn't you? Yes, indeed. Well, now, it didn't work out so at all. The sheepmen and the cattlemen came to actual war. The cattlemen declared that their herds would not graze where the sheep had been because of some queer odor the sheep left behind them. They argued, moreover, that sheep gnawed the grass off so close to the roots that they destroyed the crop and left barren land. The sheepmen, on the other hand, complained because the cattle, loving to stand in the water, waded into the water holes and spoiled them. Each faction tried to crowd the other off the range. Dreadful things happened. Vaqueros, or cowboys, would dash on horseback right into the midst of a flock and scatter the sheep in every direction. Often, many of the sheep fled into the hills and their owners never could find them again. 
or sometimes the cowboys would drive the sheep ahead of them over high precipices. Cattlemen, being on horseback, had a great scorn for sheep herders, who were obliged to trail their flocks on foot. The feud between the two varieties of stock raisers became worse and worse. Donald listened breathlessly. More men took up stock raising as time went on, and in consequence more herds were turned onto the range. Soon the results began to show. The young trees of the forest lands were trampled down or nibbled and destroyed. Water holes, which the settlers had used as their water supply, began to be polluted. Homesteaders, who had built houses and settled in the sheep-raising districts, were driven off the range and had no place where they could be sure of feeding their flocks. The worst evil, though, was that one band of sheep after another would feed in the same spot. The first flock would nip off the top of the grass. The next flock had to eat it closer in order to get food enough. When the last flocks came by, they burrowed into the earth with their sharp noses and dug up the grass by the roots. Whole stretches of land that had once been green and beautiful were left bare, so that nothing would grow on them for years and years. Cattle do not eat the turf so close as that, and I do not wonder that the vicaros complained, do you? I should think they would have, agreed Donald heartily. Then, too, the sheep have small sharp hoofs, you know. These hoofs cut through the soil so that if many sheep travel over a place they grind the earth to powder. Well, that is just what happened. The sheep left the hillsides nothing but patches of brown dust. Things went on from bad to worse until our government stepped in. Donald kept his eyes intently on Sandy's face. What could our government do? he asked earnestly. Well, it could do a good many things, and it did. First, it took about a hundred and sixty million acres of land as national forests. It was no longer free pasture. It belonged to the United States. I should think the herders would have been pretty cross about that. They were. You can see just how they felt. They made their living by raising stock, and to be deprived of pasturage angered them. At first, the government intended to stop all herds from feeding in these national reserves. They thought it was time to protect the forests that we might not have floods, landslides, and forest fires. They called it conserving the forests. Afterward, though, they considered that the western people made their living by raising cattle and sheep, and they worked out a plan whereby every owner who wanted to graze on the range should pay a certain sum to the United States government for a permit, and should be allotted a particular pasture for his herd. The only restriction was that if an owner was granted a permit, he must promise to obey the rules of the range. It was a wise and just arrangement. Only a certain number of sheep are now allowed to graze on a given area. There is therefore plenty of grass and no need for flocks to eat the herbage down close and destroy it. The money for the permits, in the meantime, goes to the government and enriches the United States Treasury. Much of this money is spent in paying men to work on the range and better the conditions there, so really it comes back to the people who pay it. I understand, Donald replied quickly, when Sandy paused for breath. It is very interesting, isn't it, Father? But I do not see how they can prevent herders who have no permits from grazing on the range. 
They ought not to have to prevent them, answered Sandy hotly. The herders ought to be decent enough to obey the law. If you are granted a favor, you ought to be a gentleman in accepting it. Now I am born of generations of shepherds. Poor country folk they were, too. But my people ever had a sense of honor. They were gentlemen. Sandy drew himself up and threw back his head as he spoke the words. I cannot imagine a McCulloch being anything but a gentleman, Sandy, said Mr. Clark, who had been listening carefully to Sandy's story of the range. Sandy was pleased. It's many would not think so, Mr. Clark, he replied, as he stretched out his rough brown hands. One can tell nothing from hands, laughed Mr. Clark. The heart is the thing that tells the tale. A clean, honest heart makes a gentleman, and no one is a gentleman without it. But you are not telling me how they kept the herders without permits off the range, put in Donald mischievously. I almost forgot. The question always ruffles me. You did a bad thing to stir me up about it, I'll tell you. The United States had to put soldiers on the range. Think of it. Soldiers to protect the government from its own people. And when the government was working to help those very people too. They called these soldiers rangers. It was their duty to patrol the dividing line of the National Reserves. Every herder who passed in must show his permit and let the ranger see that he had with him no more sheep than he ought to have. That was fair, wasn't it? Perfectly, nodded Donald. Alack, it is a sad thing that there are people in the world who do not love their country well enough to obey her laws. If they are too stupid to see the laws are for their good, why can't they trust the government? Here the government was going to give the herders better pastures and keep their flocks from being molested in them. Wouldn't you think a man with a grain of sense would see the wisdom of the plan? Sandy's temper began to rise once more. But no, the herders just felt the rangers who had been stationed to carry out the laws were enemies who had taken away their freedom. So when the rangers did not see them, they tried every way to steal into the reserves without permits. Two men would start with their flocks. One would take the attention of the ranger by showing his permit, and while the ranger was busy with him, the other man would slide into the reserve far down the line where he was not noticed. What a mean trick, cried Donald. And what if the ranger happened to see him? Oh, he would gallop after him and ride into his flock, scattering it every which way as he tried to drive the sheep out of the reserve. Often the herder would lose hundreds of them. Served him right. That's what I think, too, grinned Sandy. The like are not all dead yet, either, worse luck. And this brings me back to the matter of my permit, Mr. Clark. We are two permits short, sir. The new herds that came from Kansas City are not counted in our old rating. Did you think of that? Having more sheep this year, we must pay in more money. You didn't happen to remember, did you, to get permits for those extra flocks? No, Sandy, I didn't. But of course Thornton has attended to it. See, here he comes. We'll ask him. Thornton, he called as the big fellow passed the door. What are we going to do about permits for the new herds? They are not included in the tax we pay now. Don't you worry about more permits, Mr. Clark. 
I can save you a penny on that, declared Thornton with a knowing wink. You pay the government enough as it is. Leave it to me, sir. I'll see that the herds get into the range all right, and that it costs you no more. When Sandy goes in, he can talk with the rangers. All the rangers know him, and they will never suspect him. In the meantime, Owen can take the Kansas City herd and slip in further down the line. There is no danger of our being caught. Many a herder has done it and had no trouble. There will be no sliding sheep into the reserves without permits while I own Crescent Ranch, Thornton, said Mr. Clark sternly. We will pay what we owe the government, or we will keep fewer sheep. I was only trying to save you money, sir, Thornton hastened to explain. You took a very poor method to do it, was Mr. Clark's cold reply. The money part of wool growing is not your care. You're here to raise sheep in conformity to the laws of your country. A mighty poor set of laws they are, grumbled Thornton sullenly. You may not like them, but they are for your good nevertheless, and since you are an American, it is up to you to obey them. I keep no man in my employ who is not, before everything else, a good citizen. Thornton flushed, but made no reply. Then, darting an angry glance at Sandy from beneath his shaggy brows, he left the room. End of chapter 5